Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. So good to see all of you here today. Appreciate you coming out. Good to see all of you online. Thank you for joining us as well. We're in a series called Songs of the Summer, and this is part three in that series. We're looking at the book of Psalms in the Bible. Uh, the book of Psalms is God's songbook. And uh, today, the, the topic is actually when you're discouraged. Uh, what kind of song can you sing when you're discouraged? What kind of psalm do you go to when you're discouraged? Because everyone gets discouraged. Uh, you know, discouragement, it can come in like a quick wind that blows through and blows over, or it can come in like a tornado that blows you down. And so what, what are the effects of discouragement? I've got two on your notes on the screen. Number one, discouragement sidetracks you from living the life God intended you to live. Discouragement sidetracks you from consistent living, uh, from godly living, uh, from living the life that God intended you to live. There was a guy named John Burns, an alcoholic, a homeless man in New York City, and there was a fire in a building, and uh, some people were trapped inside. And John Burns, this homeless alcoholic, ran into the building, and he saved a woman named Sonia and her little baby from this deadly fire. And when the news media interviewed uh, John Burns in a, in a discouraging tone, he said, I'm just a drunken bum. Now, do you think that the mom and daughter that were saved by him would describe him that way? No, no, he was their hero. He had done something unbelievable to save their lives. But this guy had been discouraged for so long that even after doing something heroic, he could not see his worth. And he described himself as a drunken bum. That's a tornado of discouragement. Now, you may be thinking, well, it's a nice story, Pastor, but my discouragement hasn't left me homeless and it hasn't driven me into a bottle. But are not lesser forms of discouragement just as devastating? How much discouragement does it take to keep you from living the life that God intended for you to live? How much discouragement does it take for you to stop living the life that God intended you to live? Because that's how much discouragement the devil will bring into your life. All the devil needs is just enough discouragement to affect your moods, just enough discouragement to impact your relationships, just enough discouragement to make you difficult to be around, just enough discouragement to steal your joy, to leave you critical, negative, pessimistic, just enough to weaken your testimony. Discouragement sidetracks you from living the life God intended you to live. Second effect. Discouragement makes you more vulnerable to temptation. Discouragement lowers your resistance and makes you more likely to give in to temptation. But chances are pretty high that when you give in to temptation, you're discouraged. And there are four very destructive words that come into play here. The words, I might as well. When you're discouraged, you think, I, I might as well eat that. I might as well drink that. 
I might as well click on that. I might as well do that. And then after you give in to temptation, do you feel any better? Of course not. It just puts you on a vicious and destructive cycle. You're discouraged, you get sidetracked, you give in to temptation. You get more discouraged, you get more sidetracked. You're more easily tempted. And you just keep spiraling down and down and down. How do we overcome our discouragement? Well, the Psalms are God's go-to book for dealing with discouragement. And just as there are various types of songs, love songs, novelty songs, children's songs, rap songs, rock songs, blues songs, classical songs, disco songs, and everybody's favorite, polka. Yeah. All together now. Polka, polka, polka. Just as there are different types of songs, there are different types of psalms. And Psalm 142 is what the Bible calls a lament psalm. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's called a maskil. And a maskil means to give prudent and wise insight and instruction. A maskil is designed to give us insight on a certain issue in life. It is an instructive psalm. And so Psalm 142, the Bible tells us that it's a psalm of David. David didn't write all the psalms, but David wrote this one. And it says that he wrote this psalm when he was in the cave. Psalm 57 is another psalm that David wrote in a cave. Uh, if you study David's life, you'll discover that there was a season of David's life where King Saul, David's father-in-law, had his army pursuing David in order to kill him. And this was a dark season in David's life. And during this difficult season, David wrote two psalms uh, in the cave. And you know, maybe the cave had great acoustics. Um, personally, I'm claustrophobic. I hate caves. If I wrote a song in a cave, the chorus would be, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Okay. But David was a better man than I am, and he wrote two psalms in the cave. Bible doesn't tell us which cave. It may have been the cave in Ein Gedi uh, in the wilderness. I've actually been to that cave. Well, I've been outside and peeked into it. Uh, but most likely, this was written in the cave at Adullam. And 1 Samuel 22 tells us about that cave. Listen to this. It says, David escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented, about 400 men. Now, the description of this psalm uh, also calls it a prayer. A prayer. And the prayers in the Bible aren't put there for us to analyze and pick them apart. The prayers in the Bible are put there to bring insight and encouragement. And this prayer can bring great encouragement to you and me. So David's in a cave. What's your cave? What's causing you to be discouraged? What's sidetracking you, making you vulnerable? What insight does David have for us in Psalm 142? Verses 1 and 2. 
says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. And the phrase cry aloud literally means I shriek. From within that cave, David cries out. He shrieks his despair. His self-image, self-esteem, self-worth have been shot, but David understands the solution is not to wallow in self-pity. His solution is found in turning to the Lord, crying aloud, shrieking, pouring it out before the Lord. He doesn't hold it in and sink deeper and deeper into despair. He cries out for help from God. Verse 2, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Twice he calls to the Lord, twice he brings his complaint before him. So for David, there's nothing hidden. He, he's leveling with God about he feels. And, and as you read through David's Psalms, he can be vividly specific about what he's feeling, what he's thinking, what his fears are, even about his sin. And so when you're discouraged, don't suck it up and soldier on. No. Bring it before the Lord in prayer. Verse 3. When my spirit grows faint within me. He's just so discouraged that his inner spirit feels faint and feeble. And then it, it abruptly dawns on David that God already knows how he feels. He says, you know, when my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who watch over my way. And then he admits that things are as bad outside the cave as they are inside. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Traps were laid for David by Saul and his men. Spies were everywhere looking for David. He was a marked man facing hidden dangers. Verse 4 continues the bleak picture. It says, look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. David invites God, look, look, look at my right hand where a protector, where a defender would stand. There's no one there. Humanly speaking, David was alone. No one was concerned or cared for him. He has no refuge, no escape. No wonder he's discouraged. And maybe you, you feel alone, uncared for, trapped with no escape like David. No one on your side stepping up to your defense. And you may feel those things, but that doesn't mean that your feelings are the whole story because it wasn't for David. Because the Lord of heaven knows what you're feeling. He cares, he understands, and best of all, he offers hope. In verse 5, I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You know, earlier David says, I have no refuge, and now he changes his tune. He says, you are my refuge. In the Lament Psalms, we often see a shift, a dramatic shift. David starts out by pouring out his discouragement one minute, and then suddenly he looks up from the mess he's in, and he sees God. I'm wallowing in my mess, overwhelmed by my circumstances, and suddenly I realize God is on my side. God is my refuge. God is my portion. God is my inheritance. God is all I want out of life. So you've got to stop looking around at the mess you're in and start looking up to the God of heaven. Changes everything. Verse 6, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. 
And David has, has to recognize he can't do life on his own. He's not strong enough to live life in his own strength. And God never intended for you to live life on your own. God never intended you to live life in your own strength. God wants you to depend on him every step along the way. So David goes from having no defender, no one who cares for him, surrounded by traps with no way of escape. He cries out to God and he realizes, God is my rescuer. God is his way of escape. Verse 7, set me free from my prison. Why? That I may praise your name. Like everything else in life, this isn't about David. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David's supposed to be the king, but instead he's in a cave wiping back guano off his sandals, complaining and crying out to God. And then he has this aha, but God moment. And now David is claiming by faith right there in that cave that God is going to use him for God's glory and God is going to cause others to gather around him. God uses these cave days in David's life to mature him, to increase his faith, and to bring inner healing. And God will use the cave days in your life to mature you, to increase your faith, and bring inner healing. You know, the, the Psalms, you discover there that, that life is a series of ups and downs. But these ups and downs can lead to spiritual growth if you respond appropriately. So what can I learn from discouragement? On your notes. When you're discouraged, remember, God is your creator and your sustainer. God is making you into the person he wants you to be. Now, people will often look at, at one of their faults or even one of their sins and say, that's just the way God made me. That's just the way I am. But the truth is, none of us shows up here the way God ultimately wants us to be. That's the whole point of this life. God is continually working in our lives to make us less and less like us and more and more like Jesus Christ. And one of the tools that he uses is discouragement. Both God and the devil can use discouragement in your life. The devil can use it to sidetrack you from living the way God intended. The Bible can use it to make you more vulnerable to temptation. God can use the, the holy discontent of discouragement to motivate you to finally set aside that besetting sin and surrender to God. God can use discouragement to strengthen your faith and develop your character. The difference is how you respond to discouragement. Do you respond in the crippling way that the devil wants you to respond, or do you respond in the conquering way that God wants you to respond? Do you learn the lesson or not? One of the things I love about Rockbrook is your hunger for learning. I, I appreciate that you show up, you tune in, you, you take notes, you listen, you participate, and you take action. Because that desire to learn is part of the recipe for godliness. It's that learner's spirit that makes you a victor and not a victim. 
If you don't learn from your discouragement, your discouragement grows deeper, grows darker, becomes more often, and it wins. And so I thank you for being a learner, for being a note taker and taking this stuff to heart. So here are some questions to help you learn from your discouragement. Number one, you need to ask, when am I usually discouraged? And this is a big picture question. This is, you, what you're looking for here is you are looking for a pattern to your discouragement. Because if you can find a pattern to your discouragement, then you can learn how to manage it, even how to overcome it. So when do you get discouraged? Are, are there common times, common triggers, common causes? That gives you the big picture. And then you can move from the big picture to a more specific question. You move from the big panoramic picture to the detailed enlargement. And you say, why am I currently discouraged? What's the why behind the discouragement? Is it fear, resentment, guilt, embarrassment? You know, if you don't ask the why question, then you just wind up living a shallow, superficial life, and you'll never break free. Most people never ask the question, and even if they do ask the question, they don't do the hard work to get to the answer. Why am I currently discouraged? And if you don't get to the why, the discouragement will continue. So number three, I need to ask, what would God say to me now? Today, in the 21st century, in your discouragement, God has something to say to you. And some of you are saying, but, you know, when I'm discouraged, I, I don't go running to the Scriptures. And, and I understand that. I, I really do. Because sometimes when I'm discouraged, that's, those seasons, that's when Scripture seems dry as dust. That's when my prayers seem to, you know, the, the heavens are like brass. And it's hard to read Scripture in the dark. And that's why when I'm not discouraged. Listen, if you're discouraged today, I just want to tell you, this message really isn't for you. If you're in a season of discouragement right now, you're really in no condition to hear this. The, the songs are for you, the fellowship is for you, the atmosphere of this is for you, and, and soak all that in. But honestly, the message is just too hard for you to bear. But if you're not discouraged today, you need to be taking notes. You need to be writing this down. Because when I'm not discouraged, that's when I'm putting Scripture into my heart. So that when times get dark... I can cling to what I know to be true in the light. I prepare myself when I'm not discouraged so I can hang on to those scriptures when I am. Fourth question, where do I need to change? This is the positive side. This is the power side of discouragement because discouragement can be a great motivator to change. If we never got discouraged with our condition, we just stay the same. So sometimes you, you need that holy discontent to motivate you. Maybe it motivates you just to change your surroundings. You need to get out of a certain environment that you're in because that environment discourages you. Maybe you need to limit your exposure to discouraging people. Discouragement is contagious, like a bad flu. And, and some people, you know, if you're around people who are always discouraged, you know those people, they're just always so discouraged, you try to have a conversation with them and they just emotionally vomit on you and make everything all icky and sticky and then that triggers a negative emotional response from you and then you just wind up in this mutual emotional vomit fest that just feeds discouragement. 
So maybe you need to limit your exposure to certain people so you don't feed your discouragement. And I'm not saying that you, that you totally avoid them, you love them, you minister to them, you try to meet their needs, you just don't join yourself at the hip with them and let their discouragement drag you under. You need to do whatever you can to limit yourself to anything that's pulling you away from God, anything that's sidetracking you from living the life that God intended for you. And changing your environment and changing uh, people, those are external changes. But the more difficult changes are the internal changes. This is where you, where you work on yourself, where you change your heart, your thought patterns, your attitudes, you change your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You dig in deep and you let God do a work in you. You let discouragement motivate you to make the life change that God wants you to make. Now, let's be proactive here and learn, how do I limit discouragement? Number one, you schedule spiritual refreshment. If you don't schedule time for spiritual refreshment in your life, it, it's not going to happen. And the Bible clearly tells us that God wired us up with a built-in need for spiritual refreshment. We, it, the Bible calls it a Sabbath. And God built it into, it's the way the universe is wired up. It's the way stuff works. It is so important that God himself rested and modeled it for us from the beginning of creation. Genesis 2, verses 1 and 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, having finished his task, God rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. Without spiritual refreshment, you become spiritually, physically, emotionally drained, and you are more vulnerable to discouragement and to temptation. You know, there's a connection between the pace that we live and the discouragement that we feel. And so you've, you've got to get a handle on this. Uh, write, write this down in your notes. I didn't have it in your, uh, in your outline, but just write down. All you need to write down are six words. Rick Warren taught me this years ago, and it truly changed my life. And the first is you need to divert daily. You divert daily through Bible reading and prayer. That's your daily quiet time. And then you withdraw weekly through a time of worship and study. That's what we're doing here in this service. Uh, that's what you would do in your small group. And then you abandon annually. And that's a, a time of spiritual retreat. You know, people uh, always want to take a vacation to chillax. Okay? But what if you invested a week in your spiritual growth? What if, what if you went to a Christian camp or to a Christian conference? What if you work through a book of the Bible? What if you do some serious study in God's Word? Schedule time of spiritual refreshment in your life. You divert daily, you withdraw weekly, and you abandon annually. It'll limit your discouragement. Number two, you need to practice encouragement. Everyone loves to receive encouragement. 
I mean, we all want it. We need it. Nobody ever gets enough. No, in, my, in my life, nobody has ever said to me, no, not one more encouraging word from you. I have had it up to here with you being encouraged. One more encouraging word from you, and man, I am, I am out of here. Nobody's ever said that. No, we need encouragement. We love encouragement. So if we feel better when we receive encouragement, why would we not also feel better when we give encouragement? Proverbs 11 says, He who refreshes others will be refreshed. And so I just want to challenge you. Develop the skill of encouragement. Encouragement is a skill that can be learned. It can become part of your vocabulary, part of your lifestyle. But to develop that skill, you have to start encouraging. And, and so just make it a goal every day, specific act that today I'm going to encourage someone. And if you don't know what to say, just start with the basics. Just start with nice shirt or you don't sweat much. Okay? Just jump in there with something and get started. Uh, write, a, write a two or three line note to someone in the mail. You know, I love stuff, sending cards in the mail. Gives people something to hold on to. Gives them something to stick on the fridge or put on their desk. If you want to, send an attaboy or girl text. Just, just do it. And eventually, it becomes part of who you are. You can't be whiny about yourself when you're winsome to others. He who refreshes others refreshes himself. Instead of wine, wine, it's win, win. Number three, pray for the source of your discouragement. Now, this is where the spiritual battle is won or lost. You know, when someone discourages you, pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would heal the pain in their life that's causing them to be discouraging. Because when I pray for them, it changes my perspective. I don't feel the same about them. I don't get discouraged. I don't take the bait. I turn it around. Jesus said in Matthew 5, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who discourage you. When you invite God into the spiritual battle of discouragement, you flip discouragement into encouragement. It's like a, one of those jujitsu moves where you take something that's coming against you and you flip it to your advantage. I, I guarantee you, actually Jesus guarantees you, it will limit your discouragement when you do that. Number four, you limit your discouragement when you shift your focus from the internal to the eternal. Not from the internal to the external, but to the eternal. You know, when I'm discouraged, it's usually about me. My unfulfilled hopes, my unmet expectations, not getting my way, somebody's hurting me. I mean, this is self-focused living. It's all about me. And you've got to shift from the internal, it's all about me, to the eternal. It's all about God. I make the decision. I choose to view this one little moment in light of eternity. And, and that's not that it diminishes the moment. It's not in the light of eternity, this moment is unimportant. In the light of eternity, this moment doesn't matter. No, no. It's in light of eternity, how I handle this fleeting moment is extremely important. 
There are no throwaway moments. Why waste a moment being discouraged when you can flip that for the glory of God? Folks, I, I, I've, read, I've read the back of the book and we win. God wins. And, and, and so you want to be on God's team because he wins. The Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You get that perspective? When you see the eternal big picture, it changes everything. Now, folks, you're going to get discouraged. You are. And you're going to spend some time in a cave. But if you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're on the winning side. The victory has already been won. Eternity is on its way. Every day, we're getting closer and closer. What kind of discouragement can stand up against that hope? Next time you're discouraged, shift from internal to eternal thinking. Think about God. Think about your place with him. Think about your security in him, his love for you. Focus on God and spiritual renewal can happen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for another day to be alive and celebrate the life you've given us. Father, many of us have been sidetracked by discouragement and it's kept us from living the life that you intended us to live. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from our discouragement. And I pray for those who aren't on your team yet. For those, they may be here today checking it out, they may be watching online, those who are investigating to see whether you love them or not. Would you help them see in a very real way that you are madly in love with them and that you want them on your team, on your side, in your family and that if they will put their faith and trust in you and in your son, Jesus Christ, you will meet them right where they are and take them to where you want them to be. God, thank you that we don't have to be the same people when we leave here as we were when we came in. Indeed, you are making all things new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.